Happy solstice, everyone, and welcome to Pale Blue Pod, the astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Aww. I'm Karin Caputo, a writer, funny person, and solstice experiencer. (laughs) (laughs) You are all of those Uh things. Every time you say a funny person, it cracks me up. I always really um, hesitate on that because <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know how we're describing myself. Yeah, it's one of those funny because it's true situations. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, hey, I am Dr. Moya McTeer. I'm an astrophysicist, a folklorist, and a bud to the universe. Yeah. And uh, today we're going to be talking about things that you can see in the universe at this particular time of year. We're doing that from a cookout. From a summer, It's summertime. Yay. It's about to be summertime. We're, we're here at a cookout. The beers are chilled and you can hear them being cracked open. The meat is on the grill and the meat alternatives um, have already been on the grill so they're not contaminated no by contamination. the meat. No contamination. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and all the aunties and uncles are smack talking each other at the spades table in the corner. It's a gorgeous scene. (laughs) Yeah, this is a very fun place to talk about this. (laughs) Corinne, thank you so much for coming to the cookout. I'm so happy to be invited. (laughs) Uh, um, Right, so today we are going to be talking about some of the things that you can see in the summer sky, some of the, the cool astronomical events that will come up this season as we transition into a new season of the year. Um, but there, you know, people might have questions about that. What does yeah. it mean? What what even is a season? So, I know so I let's do. get into it. Yeah. yeah, I would love to. I love seeing the stars. It always feels, I think, growing up in like kind of a city, it was like really hard to see the sky. We would only see it when we visited my grandparents in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And I would be like, oh my gosh, there's like stars there all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, um, can confirm, middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania does have stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were probably looking at the same ones. Oh, my God. We were. Well, definitely. We were. We were. (laughs) um, Because you have not spent much of your life in the Southern Hemisphere. Not at all. Yeah, we we were pretty much looking at the same sky. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I look at the sky a lot in the winter, too. But, like, it's too cold and I want to go inside and I'm not lingering (laughs) at all. But... What I'm looking at in the winter is not what I'm looking at in the summer, I have to assume. Correct. Yeah. Um, <gasps> for for most people standing on most parts of the Earth, constellations are only visible for about six months out of the year. And that's because the other six months of the year, those constellations are behind the sun <gasps> from our point of view. Yeah. So So the timing, the time of the year at which you can see a particular target or object in the sky, that depends on its position in space and our position relative to the sun. Uh, So over the course of a year, the Earth goes around the sun and different things become visible. This is also why we have like the zodiac signs. Mm -hmm. Um, There are 13, 12 traditionally, but now 13 zodiac signs that the sun appears to like pass through over the course of a year. Uh So like they appear to be directly behind the sun at different points of the year. But the sun is really big and it's really bright. So it doesn't just block the constellation that is directly behind it. It kind of blocks out that entire half of the sky for half of the year. So that's why you can only see um, Orion. Oh, Orion is my my favorite constellation. Uh, It is interesting because it can be viewed from pretty much the entire planet, but it can only be viewed at a certain time. Uh, It's a winter constellation. It uh, it comes out in like late fall and uh, you stop being able to see it like around around this time of year in the summer. 
I didn't even realize that. I've definitely been calling any three stars in a row in the summer Ryan's belt. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I've been looking at. You are not alone in that. So, like, I, I have a tattoo of Orion. On my chest, and it's it's often one of the first tattoos that people can see of mine, and people can always point out, not always, I'd say like 90% of the time people can point out the three stars, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's Orion's belt, and I'm like, yes, so this entire thing is Orion, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that I've, but I've, I've seen many people just say like, any three stars, that's Orion's belt, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah, mm-mm. wow, I've been getting that wrong. I don't know who I've told. I'm like, flashing back to <laughs> just... <laughs> Like a 30 Rock style flashback to me telling kids the wrong thing. I never did that. <laughs> never. You were always rigorously fact checked in real time yeah. as the words were coming exactly. out of your mouth. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so what can we see all the time? All the time. Or year you round, can... not during the day. Right. Good catch. Good catch, yeah, because we can't see any night sky objects during the day. Um, you can sometimes see the, the moon during the day. Like, that is not... I love uh, when that happens. I feel like yeah. I'm in a sci-fi movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> sci-fi movies always have those, uh, yeah. like, big objects hanging exactly. in the sky. And during yeah, the day, yeah, yeah. like... Well, I mean, it's like Star Wars, too, where it's like, there's two moons. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so sometimes the moon comes out at night. It is not an exclusively nocturnal object. Um, but there are some constellations that are in just the right spot that we can see them year-round. And those are the circumpolar constellations. Those are the constellations that are near enough to the celestial poles. Uh, that's like, if you draw a line from our North Pole straight out, North and South Pole straight out, then you get the celestial North and South Poles. And the the constellations over the course of a year will seem to just like rotate around the pole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's harder in the Southern Hemisphere because there is no Southern star. But there is a northern star. We have mm-hmm. Polaris. And so um, if you're looking towards the, the North Pole, you can see the constellations Cassiopeia, Cepheus, Draco, Ursa Major, and Ursa Minor just seem like they're going around in a circle around Polaris. Um, so if you're in the northern hemisphere, you can always see those. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's because they are north or south enough that they're like above the obscuring line of the sun's light. If okay. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. I th- yeah. yeah, those are f- those names I've heard before, especially Cassiopeia. Mm-hmm, yeah, Cassiopeia is the one that looks like a like a crown because yeah. it's for Queen Cassiopeia. Uh, and then there there are southern circumpolar constellations too, even though they don't have a south star. Uh, there's Carina, Centaurus, and the Crux, uh, also called the Southern Cross. Those are constellations that are always visible around the entire year from the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. I'm realizing how potentially U.S.-centric my vision of the sky is because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you just use the North Star if you were an ancient person navigating the seas. And like, that's not true, I guess, if you're in the no, South. Nope. Not everyone could do that. Uh, also, our North Star has not always been Polaris. Yeah, there's like this 26,000-year cycle for our North Stars because the, the Earth, its axis is wobbling a little bit like a tilt. We call this precession. Um, and so over 26,000 years, the line that points out from Earth's North Pole changes. And in, in like 13,000 years or something, our next... North Star is a star called Vega. Vega, that's a cool name for it. Mm-hmm. 
I guess that won't, I won't live as long to see that. <laughs> to mm-hmm. see you still can do a lot of navigation with the, with the Southern Cross, though, the crux. Um, there are a lot of really interesting ways that, um, you know, like Polynesian wayfarers or people uh, in Polynesia, they, uh, they did they some cool crux. stuff. I love that. Okay, so why, I guess we kind of got into this with the sun, but why are some things only visible from certain places? Yes. So if you have ever traveled from the north to the south hemispheres or vice versa, you'll notice that you see different constellations. You can't see the, the Southern Cross from the like high northern latitudes and vice versa. Um, so that has to do with the curvature of the Earth. We are stuck on this big round rock and we can't see through it. And so at a certain point when you're looking out towards the horizon, the curvature of the Earth takes the horizon away from you and you can't see behind that curve. And so uh, if you're standing on the equator, if you're standing on Earth's equator, you can see kind of all of the the north and south range of the sky. Um, the north and south poles are going to be very close to the horizon from your perspective, but you can still see the entire sky. If you move north or south of the equator, you're going to be blocking some of your view of constellations and other things in the sky. I think it would help. It might help to talk about the coordinate systems that we use. Yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah, so there are a lot of different coordinate systems that astronomers use, and I think there are enough to warrant a whole episode about it. But the most common one, and the one you'll see if you Google, like, um, the star Betelgeuse's position, it will give you a right ascension and a declination. That is the Mm -hmm. coordinate system it's going to use. And so um, right ascension, which we abbreviate as RA, and declination, which we abbreviate as DEC, are the two uh, coordinates that you use in the RA and DEC system. You can think of this coordinate system as like a projected version of our latitude-longitude system. So like if you just take latitude-longitude and project it out to the night sky, longitude becomes right ascension and latitude becomes declination. Okay. Um, so right ascension... They make it extra confusing because they don't use degrees as a unit. They use hours, but 24 hours is the same as 360 degrees. It's just like they decided to use a weird unit for some reason. They just had to do it their own way. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to feel special. (laughs) Uh, So right ascension is measured in hours and declination is measured in degrees like a normal (laughs) angle should be. Uh, So right ascension tells you like how west or east of the sun an object is and declination tells you how north or south of our um, like celestial equator an object is. And so if you are standing um, I'm going to use New York as an example because mm-hmm. we're both familiar with it. Actually, let's use Pennsylvania. That's where the cookout is. That's where we are. Okay, so so we're standing in Pennsylvania. Our latitude right now is about 40 degrees north. And so directly above us right now is an astronomical object that has a declination of 40 degrees north uh, because it passes right overhead. And we can see objects that have a declination of like up to 90 degrees north and down a little bit below the equator. So down to like 10 degrees south or something. But If you're trying to figure out what object passes directly overhead, it is an object that has a declination that matches your latitude because those are just like one to one. Mm -hmm. Um, Right ascension is a little bit more difficult to explain because it's based on like the movement of the sun across the sky over the course of a year. And so on the spring equinox on, on March 21st, the right ascension of the sun is zero. And then as we move around in our orbit to the summer solstice, that's 
that's this week, hello. Uh, then the sun has a right ascension of six. And then in the fall, it has a right ascension of 12. And in the winter, it has a right ascension of 18. And then it goes back to zero or 24. Um, and so the sun's right ascension changes over the course of a year. And we define a space object's right ascension based on like when it is in line with the sun. Oh, okay. I think I get it now. That was that was long-winded. Did that make any sense? Yeah, I think I got it. I mean, like, I certainly could not create a map based on this, but yeah. I think I have an idea of how they were measuring things. I guess in my head, I would have guessed the sun moves too much to be, like, a baseline or, like, a barometer for the location of other things. It but moves I, a lot from our point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I guess out in space... It's different. <laughs> yeah, this is this is where I've had so much practice shifting between the Earth perspective and the Sun perspective and even, like, the galactic center perspective. Like, I've mm-hmm. shifted between all of those points of view. Yeah. And it is really difficult. Like, this is something that I, I honestly struggled a lot with when I was learning astronomy um, because they, these coordinate systems aren't intuitive. Yeah. Um, it's I not really it easy, yeah, to, like, project the celestial sphere out there you know like it takes practice to do that so it's fine if you can't draw this map right now yeah i think i I trust the scientists who made it (laughs) and that's all i have to do (laughs) that's all you have to do hopefully if you see the words right ascension and declination or ra and dec you'll at least know that that it means positions yes exactly yeah yeah and and hopefully you'll remember that right ascension is like galactic longitude and or universal longitude and declination is like universal latitude. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. learning about latitude and longitude in school, in elementary school. And my mm. teacher was trying to give us all of these like, not mnemonics, but like little things to remember which one is left and right and up and down mm-hmm. kind of. And mm-hmm. I remember being unable to get it. I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm never going to get this. Oh no. Now I get it. <laughs> I remember my teacher told us that uh, latitude was the flat one. <gasps> That's so good. Flatitude. Flatitude. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Mrs. Sandman. <laughs> I got to send her an email. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know it's been like 20 years, but <laughs> here's a way you can you improve know. her teaching. <laughs> <laughs> You're long retired. <laughs> um, okay, hmm. so because we talked about this a few times, can you define a solstice for us? Yes. Yes, I can. Um, There are two terms that you might hear a lot in this episode or in future episodes. Uh, They are solstice and equinox. Mm -hmm. Every year, as our Earth goes around the sun, we have two solstices and two equinoxes. There's a summer and a winter solstice, and these are the times when the the axis of the Earth's rotation is directly pointing at the sun. Uh, So the and the different hemispheres have have it opposite, right? So um, the northern summer. Uh, So right now, June 21st is the northern summer solstice and the southern uh, winter solstice. The the southern hemisphere has winter right now. And that's because the northern hemisphere is pointing directly at the sun. And the southern hemisphere is pointing uh, away from it with our 23 degree tilt. So that's that's June 21st and December 21st. The opposites of those are the equinoxes, the spring and the fall equinoxes, and they happen when the tilt of the planet is like, um, it's not pointing towards the sun, it's pointing like to the side. Um, it's like, 
who's the son? Like, we can't see her, you know, <laughs> uh, one of those types of things. <laughs> uh, and so another way that people might think about the differences between solstices and equinoxes is that a solstice is the extreme in terms of the ratio between day and night. So on the summer solstice, we have the longest day and the shortest night. And at the winter solstice, you have the longest night and the shortest day. Mm -hmm. Whereas the equinoxes uh, are are equal in that split. And that's like if you are at a particular point around the equator, you see an equal split um, between night and day. Cool. I always love when it's the longest day of the year. Of course, who doesn't? But I always, it, I feel like it always comes way <laughs> earlier in the summer than I expect it to. Like, I want it to come in, like, July, not yeah. June. I'm like, no, there's so much more summer to be had. Don't, don't start shrinking. I was just thinking the other day that the seasons we have and the way we, we demarcate the, the changing between them, I feel like it doesn't make as much sense anymore. Like, summer should not start June 21st. No. Summer, no. It, summer's here. Summer's, summer's Memorial Day in the middle weekend. of May. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And oh. it goes until, honestly, until mid-September sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we all agree. June, July, August, though, that's summer. And sometimes summer bleeds into September, which I always think is the beginning of fall. Mm -hmm. I just think our seasons are are off. They're off. They are. Mm -hmm. Also, I have a very school calendar view of what a year is. Like, I think a year starts in September and ends in May slash June. And then Mm -hmm. July, August don't count. Like, that is not, that doesn't count towards your year at all. I think that's just fun time. Yeah. The, the academic versus fiscal versus like calendar year no let's just get rid of it we don't need we don't need an academic year anymore we're not we're not in totally agrarian society no i know i think also i just don't want time at all (laughs) no time Hi, it's Corinne. Welcome to this episode's mid-break. I know you can't be at this cookout with us, but I hope you can enjoy some amazing food and go get yourself something cold to drink no matter where you are. I especially hope that our sun-like stars are happy where they are. Thank you, as always, to Sharn Llewellyn, Finn, and Peyton. And thank you to our newest pre-main sequence stars, Levine, Batia, and Veronica Chu. You can support us, hear your name on this podcast, and make it to our patron star chart, all by supporting us on Patreon for just about a dollar per episode. Find the star chart, Patreon info, and more at our website, palebluepod.com, or by going right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. And if you can't support us financially, that's fine. We still love you. You are still space. Another great way to support us is to share the show with your friends. Are you looking for a fun, no-pressure way to learn math and science? besides listening to Pale Blue Pod, check out Brilliant.org. It's the best way to learn about math and science interactively online. Brilliant has thousands of lessons in math, science, data analysis, and they're adding new ones each month. Enjoy fun storytelling, guided problem solving, and feel free to make lots of mistakes while playing and learning. On Brilliant, your natural curiosity will drive you, not the threat of a test. Brilliant doesn't just teach you facts and formulas, it actually develops your intuition for these subjects through interactive gameplay. Their science courses can help you get a deeper understanding of things we talk about a lot here, like electricity and magnetism and special relativity, or you can branch out to their classes on geometry, foundational logic. Whatever you learn on Brilliant, you'll have a fun time doing it. Go to brilliant.org slash palebluepod to get a 30-day free trial, and the first 200 people will get 20% off their annual subscription. Okay, back to the episode. Bye! Uh, so those those are, I think, some of the most common 
questions uh, that people would have about like the changing of the season and um, why the sky looks different at different points of time and space. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there anything you want to know more about before we get into what specifically people Mm -hmm. can see this summer? That's such a good question. I don't know if I have anything off my head, but I do want to know what I can see when I go outside. Okay, sounds good. Um, So we have not yet done an episode on constellations. That will have more about uh, like what you can see at what times of the year and from which hemisphere. Uh, So I'm not going to tell you like this is when you can see the large and small Magellanic clouds or whatever, but I am going to tell you about specific events and uh, you know like kind of transient things that don't happen like every year. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's start in June. Uh, There were a few things, a few exciting things that happened in May, so we missed those a little bit, but we can start uh, in late June. This is the time of year, this is a time of year for Venus to really shine. Venus right now is really bright in the western sky in the evening, um, and that is because it's at something called eastern elongation in its orbit meaning it's at the spot in its orbit around the sun where we can see it just after the sun sets. So it's called the evening Mm -hmm. star. I have seen Venus at night or like Mm -hmm. right at sunset around this time. It's been so nice. I uh, I just moved to a new apartment that has a much better view of the sky. And oh. every night I watch the sunset and then I've been seeing Venus rise over the horizon. And mm-hmm. then I've been seeing the moon like come down to, to meet Venus. And it's been so oh my nice. God. I have a skylight in my apartment. It's a small <gasps> apartment. And this is like the little luxury. <laughs> there's actually two. There's one in the bathroom and there's one in the living room. And... Yes. We kind of can sort of lay on the couch at night, and if all the lights are off, you can look at the skylight and see some stars. You can't, like, like it's a small view, but it is really nice. And once in the middle of the night, I got up to go to the bathroom, and the bathroom was so bright, and the moon was right outside of the skylight. It was crazy. I was like, I should do a spell. I'm not a witch, but, like, (laughs) this feels like a spell moment. Oh, next time. I hope you do a spell. Just like I gotta whip fill, one out. Fill a glass with water, put it in the moonlight, and let, yeah. it, let it drink it in the something. morning or something. Yeah. <laughs> you can do something with it. It's all it's all about like intentions anyway. Exactly. I just have to smile while I do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a ritual to and make, that's good to make magic. you look out for things. Yeah. I love that you have that skylight. I love, I love that, that I have it too. Beautiful views. It's really nice. I do feel like I'll need to move soon. But I love this apartment, especially for that reason. I wish I could just, like, attach other rooms to it. Oh, yeah. You'll find a better apartment. We will. Speaking it into existence. (laughs) That's the spell, Um, Moya. There it is. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that... That is Eastern elongation. And if you were to look at a diagram of the the sun and Venus and the Earth from the Earth's perspective, then at Eastern elongation, it would look like Venus is on the left side of the sun. As Venus goes around the sun and, and you know, you have to line up the, the Earth's and Venus's orbits for this to work. So it's not like every Venus year. But when Venus is on the other side of the sun from our perspective, then it's at something called Western elongation. And then it appears just before the sun rises and it's called the morning star. Like, like Lucifer morning star. Um, I'll never be awake to see that, but I do um, I do think it sounds nice. I might occasionally still be up 
to see the morning okay. star. That is brave, Moya. I <laughs> love going to bed early and sleeping late. <laughs> I'm the opposite. That's so funny. Um, I love going to bed late and sleeping late. Yeah, I get it. I'm just trying yeah. to stay asleep. My dreams are nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice in there. <laughs> Venus is not the only planet that you'll be able to see in the sky around this time of year. Uh, this month, you can see both Venus and Mars. And then next month, starting on July 19th, you'll be able to see Venus, Mars, and Mercury all <gasps> around each other um, in the evening sky near the crescent moon. So that'll happen over three days, July 19th, 20th, and 21st. Wow. And uh, you'll be able to see these planets get like even closer and closer. And then there will be something called a conjunction of Venus and Mars. They'll appear to like pass by each other. Aww. It's going to be really, really cute. Um, maybe you enjoy watching that and thinking about like the vast distances that you're seeing happen in real time even though they look really tiny to us mm -hmm. maybe you're a mythology nerd like me and you're thinking about all of the stories that ancient humans would have told about this very event you know like venus and mars coming together like this is you know in mythology they were having an affair you know maybe this is the conjunction is when they were like getting it on like, i just i yeah there's there's so much <laughs> stuff to think about when you're looking at the night sky I love that. I think also there's a chance you could be like me and see those three planets in the sky and call it Orion's Belt. Yes. <laughs> and I hope you don't. <laughs> but even if you do, just the fact that you're looking up is beautiful. Is, yeah, yeah, you're right. Get rid of my phone neck, too. <laughs> just like looking down. I'm genuinely concerned about that. I think I saw like a 60 minutes episode. Oh, yeah. I saw like the same thing. 15 years ago. I saw the same thing. I'm like, I'm getting it. Yeah, about the curvature in yes. our spine at the top of our neck. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. Now I'm like that weirdo who holds my phone up to like eye level because I, I really don't want We're all completely lay down. I'm like, you know yeah. what? Maybe I should just lay flat and create no muscle toning at all. <laughs> <It does. laughs> that's, that's a great solution. Yeah. Moving to August, although it will start in July, we'll be able to see the Perseid meteor shower. Um, this starts in mid-July. It goes through all of August, but it peaks around August 11th or 12th, which is really exciting because I think last year or the last few times that the Perseid meteor shower came by, it peaked around a full moon. So it was harder to see them because the, the light of the full moon was blocking it. That's why when you went into your bathroom that one mm -hmm. night, it was so bright. Because yeah. the full moon gives off a, light, a lot more light than a yeah. new moon. Um, but it's going to peak around a new moon, so it should be easier to see the meteors, which is very exciting. Uh, these are what people used to or still do often call shooting stars, although they are not stars. They are chunks of rock, uh, tiny little chunks of rock that are passing through our atmosphere. And uh, this meteor shower, the Perseids in particular, they are caused by Earth passing through a field of debris left over from the comet Swift-Tuttle. Um, Swift Tuttle passed by Earth in 1992. It left some some garbage. It just like you know, it's driving by. It throws some some fast food wrappers oh out my of the window, and now uh, those fast food wrappers come into our atmosphere and make a pretty light show. Wait, what was that band that was on a tour bus and they threw all their pee in the river? What? Dave Matthews Band. It was August what? 8th, 2004, and Dave Matthews Band's tour bus emptied the toilet over a river <gasps> in Illinois, in Chicago, I think. 
over a river. Oh wait, is this the one where they were like there was like an overpass, like a bridge or something? Yes. Did, was there was there a boat? Like did they drop the pee on someone? Okay, is wait. that what I'm remembering? I'm on a radio station's website, which means it is the most chaotic page you could ever be on. There's a moving thing every few inches. Okay. Passengers on the tour boat Chicago's Little Lady described the downpour of foul-smelling brownish-yellow oh. slurry that ruined their clothes and made several of them sick. Oh, no. This comet is no different. <laughs> no different. Just <laughs> as disrespectful. Um, Just as rude. Except I don't know if anyone has ever thrown up from I'll looking bet I could. at a meteor shower. That sounds awful. <laughs> I'll do it. Awful. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's go, Corinne. I'm well, so moved Let's put this to it. the test. Um, so yeah, it did that. It like passed by 1992 and we're still passing through its cloud of junk. Uh, it passes by the earth every 133 years. So in like 21, in the 2120s, it'll be back and then people will see even more extreme Ooh. Perseids uh, because there will be even more junk. But right now, um, there's still enough debris that we, it's like one of the most visible and exciting meteor showers that we yeah. get. Every year, um, at its peak, you'll be able to see like 50 to 100 meteors passing across the sky every hour. So um, go out. Hopefully you're in a dark enough spot to see it happen. You can see this from like most of the most of the planet. Are these pieces falling through our atmosphere? They're just passing by? Well, they are kind of stationary in space. They're well, they're orbiting the sun, just like the mm-hmm. comet Swift-Tuttle does, um, and Earth passes through that cloud. Oh, that cloud, I see. Now I'm yeah. getting it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we are, we're encroaching on their space, you yeah. know? Like, like get um, out of here again. Every year you come by. Uh-huh. Every year you come by and you burn us up in your atmosphere, and now there's nothing so left, rude. and we have to wait for the next drive-by. It's, <laughs> it's, it sounds hard to be a debris field out in space. Seriously. I just um, started re-watching Smallville, the CW11 oh, show. The Superman. Yeah, the teen drama of Superman. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know how long I'll be doing this rewatch. I'm like three or four episodes in. But it's so funny <laughs> that every day in this town, one of the teenagers becomes this little monster because of the meteor shower that delivered Mm. Clark Kent and this town is just covered in glowing green like rocks and poisoning like kids at every turn oh no No. it's a very different vibe than the than the comets we're like pleasantly watching on a on a summer evening I completely forgot that they made a monster of the week Superman TV show they did boy did they I watched Mm -hmm. it religiously as it was airing but it's funny how much I've forgotten about it well maybe there will be a new superhero come Come to Earth this summer. I hope. With the Perseids. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, maybe a tiny baby will fall into a cornfield. These are these are very small. Most of them uh, burn up completely in the atmosphere. Most of them do not make it to the surface. Because mm-hmm. um, they are not like comets or asteroids. They yeah. are tiny, tiny little leftover pieces of junk. Uh, which you will be able to see make this beautiful light show pretty much across most of the Earth. Uh, definitely in the northern hemisphere, that's where it's easiest to see. Um, but going down to the, the mid-southern latitudes, so like the, the 40-ish degrees south. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Australia. Sorry, Australia. Uh, and it's winter for them right now. Oh, it really sucks. Wow, that does suck. That's okay. They the southern. I don't feel bad for people in the southern hemisphere because they typically have the best views of the night sky anyway. In my humble opinion, <laughs> um, they they can see the large and small Magellanic clouds. I think they can see Andromeda. What's Andromeda's declination? 
See, this is why it's useful to know the RA index system, because then once you have a, a grasp on it, you can look up the position for any uh, object in the night sky and, and figure out know. if and when, yeah, you'll be able to see it. Um, so it has a right ascension of about one hour, which means this is Andromeda Galaxy, which means we should be able to see it in the summer, like mm-hmm. in, in June or July is when it's peaking in the sky. Uh, but it has a declination of 41 degrees, so you can see it from the northern hemisphere pretty easily. Cool. Anyway, yeah, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad for the southern viewers. No. They have a, a beautiful night sky, and they have a, a cool, from my perspective, upside-down moon. And they have one of the best Mary-Kate Nashley movies, which is Our Lips Are Sealed. <gasps> so good! <laughs> one of the best. So good! One of the best. Maybe, I think Billboard Dad might be the only competitor. But are you counting the ones where they're really little, like the double-double toil oh, and trouble no, ones? Oh, no, I'm not, and they're so cute in those. They're so cute. <laughs> little witch costumes. Yeah, um... This is a longer conversation, Corinne. Yeah, this is the next movie episode is Passport to Paris starring Mary Kate <laughs> Oh, oh, what's the one where they're in, in London? Um, winning London. Winning London was good. And then, of course, they're switching goals where they are soccer stars. Can't and they switch about switching goals. Yes. And then New York Minute, theatrical release. Mm-hmm. We, 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 can, we can skip New York Minute. There's the one where they go to Utah and they are um, oh, yeah. skiing, like road trip or something. I forgot about that one. Uh, uh, wow. <laughs> we got to get them back on the screen. <laughs> I don't think they want to be back I on the screen. I don't think they want to be. They yeah. are running a very fancy clothing line. Good for them. Mm -hmm. Probably, I hope. I think so. I don't know. I feel like any child actor gets to do whatever they want now. Yeah. And that's okay. They've paid their dues, Mm -hmm. for sure. Okay, back to Constellations. (laughs) Back to Constellations. It is called the Perseid meteor shower because it appears to come from the same part of the sky as the Perseus constellation. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of these uh, meteor showers are named. But that is not where it comes from, friends. Please remember that just because it looks like it's coming from that direction does not mean that it comes from that constellation. It is just a, a patch of... Garbage, a patch of refuse <laughs> detritus that we are, are floating through. Space is too big for all those things mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. right next to each other. Exactly. I uh, wanted to zoom in a little bit from constellations to our moon. August 31st is going to give us a, a blue supermoon, um, which, contrary to what some notable science communicators might say, it's exciting. It's spectacular. <laughs> Don't feel ashamed if you enjoy going to see just like a really big fucking moon. A super moon is cool. It's nice to see. When I see a big moon, it's it feels magical. It's like yeah. this is this is an incredible moment. It truly is. And it, you feel so weird be, like texting people and you're like, did you see the moon? <laughs> you can always text me that, Corinne. I love like, wait, did you see, see the, the moon? moon? I love looking at the moon. And when it's closer to us, because that that's what makes the supermoon effect. Uh, the supermoon is the name for a full moon when the moon is very close to us. Uh, so around mm-hmm. around this time, the moon is at perigee, meaning it's the closest uh, that the moon gets to the Earth because it doesn't have a perfectly circular orbit. So sometimes it's closest to us, perigee, and sometimes it's farther away from us or at apogee. Um, so right now it's closer, so it appears to be bigger. We've talked about the, the magic of angular size before. Um, <laughs> if you could get that sparkle back, Misha, that'd be great. <laughs> but 
It is. It's it's a big moon. It's just going to be a moon that looks bigger, yeah. and it, it's called a blue supermoon because it is a blue moon. Uh, a blue moon is the second full moon in a month. So August has two full moons. There will be one on the 31st and then one earlier in the month on, like, the 3rd or the 4th or whatever. That's 31 minus 28. And uh, mm-hmm. blue moons, you know the saying, like, once in a blue moon, they make it sound like it means yes. it's extremely rare. A blue moon is once every two and a half years. This is great news. This is really good news for me. Because I'm like, wow, things happen more frequently than you think. You're like, this is never... I'm somebody who, however I'm feeling in a given moment, is how I think I'll feel for the rest of my life. And I can't imagine any other emotions. Mm. So to know that things happen frequently to have that data is really comforting yeah blue moons happen once every two two and a half years solar eclipses lunar eclipses they're happening you know on the every year to every couple of years range like things happen often good (laughs) good Uh, and that's that's most of what you'll be able to see in the sky. Um, keep a lookout for the Perseids. Definitely keep a lookout for that blue supermoon. It's going to be gorgeous. And in in July, around the 19th, look out for Venus, Mercury, and Mars having a little party with the crescent moon in the western sky. I love it. Um, I thought that maybe we could end this episode with uh, some of our more memorable experiences. I know you started talking about your... Your time's in Pennsylvania, but were there any mm-hmm. any specific things you saw or, like, stargazing revelations you had? I think the most memorable stargazing moment for me was when I first started dating my husband. He always spent some summers in um, Saco, Maine, mm. as, like, working as a lifeguard and working as, like, a janitor and, like, all these, like, little kind of summer gigs. And I went to that camp with him a few times and we saw, I don't think I've ever spent, had spent a night on the beach before. And the sky is so vast and open. And it was even bigger than how it felt when I would go to Pennsylvania. Mm. And I saw like a part of the Milky Way for the yes. first time, which I was so floored by. And I, I think I've mentioned this early, in an early episode of the pod, but I didn't know that you could see that with your na- with the naked eye. That always felt like some kind of computer rendering mm. for, to me, or like I just decided that that wasn't something that I could witness especially growing up in New York City where it's like, and even in Staten Island, there's enough light pollution that you're really not seeing anything anyway. But yeah, I just finally had this wide, clear, open view. And I don't feel like I have vocabulary Mm. for it. It was so specific and not scary, but it felt overwhelming. I just felt so like vulnerable too of like, wow, I can see so much of this universe and it can see me <laughs> i think that was part of it. it was like oh no it's looking back like, uh, suddenly my ego was like wait a second we're not that big at all <laughs> nice when when was that, that was probably like five summers okay. ago but now i live in maine and i could probably do that again there are some beautiful skies up there yeah mm-hmm. yeah i was never really into stargazing growing up my mom would try to make me and i would just be like it's cold i want to go inside yeah uh-huh. <laughs> uh, classic classic moya classic k 
kid, really. Classic kid, yeah. yeah. I, I then went to college and I studied it and I was like, yeah, the science of this, the numbers in this are awesome, mm-hmm. but still didn't really like looking at it. So it wasn't until 2018, I'm in my second or third year of grad school, and I, I signed up and was accepted for a program called ASAP, where they took science communicators and educators from the U.S. and... Um, let them do a tour of different telescope facilities in Chile. So I spent like two or three weeks down there going to different telescope observatories. We went to see the Blanco telescope, which is on one of these mountains in Chile. And it was so dark that not only did I see the Milky Way, like I had been seeing the Milky Way my entire trip. Like that was kind of old news at that point. I say Uh old news, but it was, you know, like two weeks. And then um, (laughs) at this place... It was so dark that I saw my shadow cast by the light of the Milky Way, which was, like, incredible. Whoa. There was, first of all, to, to be in that darkest spot, I had, I had never experienced that before. Um, but I grew up in the woods. Like, I thought I knew what darkness was. I did you know not, what dark is. I did yeah. not know what dark was. Interesting. Um, so there was that. And then just to know, to have the experience of interacting with photons from from like the whole galaxy that are stopped yeah. by my body before they hit the ground like that that That's was crazy felt so powerful and you know like one with the universe in that moment it was a very mm-hmm. uh, it, like it was a, an epiphany moment for me where yeah. i felt connection to the universe in a way i had never done before and i saw the value of stargazing for my outreach yeah. efforts because i was like oh i this is a great way to connect with audiences. I need to learn more about this if I'm going to be a good science communicator. Yeah, I love that. There used to be like some stargazing meetups near the Brooklyn Museum um, when I was living there, but it was always on, I think, it. oh my gosh, it was the same, it was the first Saturday of every month or the third Saturday. And whatever Saturday it was, was the same Saturday I did astronaut training. So I was like, well, now I have to go host this show about space. And it also meant, like, I could never reach out to the people yeah. who run those groups because they could never do my show. Oh, damn. But I did always want to do that. Especially, I, I think I'd be curious to see how they can encourage that in New York. Because I just decided that stargazing was not a part of my life there. Mm-hmm. But there were these groups of people who did it. And I yeah. love that. There are a few around the city, which is really nice. Um, there's a, a friendly backyard astronomer in, in New York. Mm-hmm. I think she's in Brooklyn. But mm-hmm. yeah, there, there are a bunch of groups. I love that. It's really nice. All right. Well, that's uh, all I have. We will we'll probably do another episode like this for the fall. Yeah, that would be great. And we can offer some amazing hot cider <gasps> tips yes. for, so you can actually stay outside in the cold. <laughs> Unlike yes. the children inside of us who scream to go back in. <laughs> Mom, it's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> well, I see some amazing burgers that are ready for us, Moya. Oh, oh yeah, they, they've been ready. <laughs> um, Corinne, you, you do have to finish your plate. Okay, I will. Okay. All right, I'm going to cool. take a deep breath and I'm going to do this. Great. <laughs> okay, well, wherever you're gazing tonight, I hope you remember that you are space. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. 
Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.